Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The morning spiel is on 1033 WKMZ. All right. It is good to be here with everybody. And uh, it has been it has been an interesting couple of days, I think, for West Virginia and West Virginia fans following uh, a, a pretty difficult to watch football game against Oklahoma. I'll confess I, I, I turned it off during the fourth quarter. You just at a certain point, you have better things uh, to do. And and I will say this for West Virginia. I thought there were moments where they battled. You know, we didn't really talk about this yesterday because we, we spent so much time talking about sort of the landscape of college football. And I, I, I encourage folks to, you know, download the podcast of that episode. But now we can take a little bit of a closer look at the game itself. And I thought the Mountaineers at times battled, but it, it obviously was not anywhere close to enough. And when you're not playing well, the other team's playing very well, and you're not capitalizing on the rare mistakes made by your opposition. I mean, you're just, you're going to be in for a really, really long day on the road. And that, that was the reality of it. Mike Osti of West Virginia sports now managing editor and host of the Mike drop podcast is with us now to help us break it all down and talk about where this goes next with the final home game against Cincinnati. Mike, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. And, uh, yeah, it was not a great weekend and, Maybe trying to turn the page now for West Virginia, but for myself, I'm getting a random Chris Farley wormhole. So I guess I will tell you that I'm doing well, and it could be much worse. I could be living in a van down by. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Was this was this just like a, a you, you you got the urge? You're like, I'm going to watch a bunch of Chris Farley on YouTube, or or uh... well, apparently YouTube felt I would enjoy some Chris Farley. <laughs> just in my suggested video. Mike, the algorithm <laughs> always knows. Interview, I believe somebody who worked on Saturday Night Live was on Howard Stern and was talking <laughs> about Chris Farley. I clicked on it, watched it, and then that opened up the floodgates. So a Chris Farley wormhole is not a bad wormhole to be in. There, no, many, the, there are many that are worse. The I mean, algorithm, the algorithm wild, knows. One they, of the greatest of all time, the the algorithm clearly knew what you were you knew what you needed, Mike. And it, it hey, real quick, it did. It, 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 it knew that I just covered <laughs> West Virginia, Oklahoma, and I needed something that had nothing to do with it and was just going to be funny and was going to kick off the new week a lot better for those of us who had to watch, cover it, or of course the team experiencing it. So. Yeah. It fit perfectly. It's a it's a palate cleanser. Also, real quick, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, just because we're on the topic of Saturday Night Live, have you watched the the uh, Nate Bargetts or Bargetsy? I think is how he says his name. The comedian, stand up comedian, hosted Saturday Night Live uh, a week or two ago, and he did a he did a, a sketch where he's George Washington, and it's during like in the. I, I did. Yeah. Oh, it's great. No, it's my, so good. I don't really watch this live anymore. Yeah. Highlights, but. My mom apparently watched it and sent it to me, so I did watch it. My wife actually kind of enjoyed it even more than anybody because she's a science teacher. So it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Very, very true and very, very funny. Does your wife know how sense. to spell Fahrenheit? That's the real question. Well, she's not a speller. Okay, she's, fair. She's a science teacher. So if you know anything about science teachers, a lot of other subjects are not uh, their cup of tea. But she's a very smart woman. So yes. Sure yeah. But nobody can, so... <laughs> No, nobody, nobody can do it. Uh, so, 
West Virginia drops this one. It it look, there's no getting around it. It was a about as brutal a loss as I think any of us can remember. I I, I think uh, for West Virginia, I think many were anticipating kind of the they were thinking the Penn State game might go this way, and then when it didn't, it's almost like well we you know maybe we're better than than you know West Virginia is better than expected. And you get one of these, you don't want one of these ever, uh, but you get one of these, you get it against a conference foe, you get it against Oklahoma, no less. Uh, and it, it does raise a lot of questions for fans. I'm not convinced that those questions really need to be asked. I, I understand that the lack of competitiveness in that game is going to bother a lot of people, but uh, there's a part of me that just thinks it just shows the program's not quite, th- it's not quite there yet. I think the bigger test is what happens in the aftermath. And you also get that result on the heels of arguably the best performance of the team under Neil Brown in the last five years. So they dominate BYU, and BYU is not Oklahoma, but they are going to be a bowl team. They did have a winning record entering the game. They were banged up. And while, based on those circumstances, West Virginia certainly should win and did, nobody really thought, and we talked about the spread being crazy, nobody thought West Virginia was going to run them out of the building. As I said in the press box, people were talking about the early days of Holgerson and Rich Rod and even Bill Stewart. That was the last time he really remembered that feeling. And then to carry that over to Oklahoma on the road, potentially the last meeting ever between these historic programs. And Neil Brown said, yeah, we beat him last year tonight, so I don't have as much of a monkey on my back, but I wanted to get a win in Norman. We thought we should have won two years ago. They don't. They get run out of the building. It never felt like they could stop Oklahoma. So even though West Virginia's defense played god-awful, their offense, in terms of Oklahoma, looked like they were so good they would have done this to anybody. West Virginia also put up the worst effort of the season, or one of the worst. And then West Virginia's offense looks looked worse than it's been in weeks, and certainly since Garrett Green came back after his injury suffered in the brawl. So the perfect storm happened negatively for the Mountaineers. And then, Alex, as you know, and I, I, a fan and former colleague, Sean Manning, actually, he used to cover the team and now works for the university, he brought up the fact that not only did all of that happen, but then Texas A&M making the decision to part ways with Jimbo Fisher, obviously a West Virginia Clarksburg <laughs> native and a guy who arguably has a Hall of Fame college coach resume, but hasn't certainly not got it done with A and M, and just pay him to, to to leave. That happens right after that, so that ignites the fan base even further. Like the timing of that, which is awful for the West Virginia fan base, because Texas A and M had actually just won really big, and nobody really thought that was going to happen until after the season. Because why not go to the bowl game? But they do it randomly. Like, it didn't make sense. You could, you could understand it more if they lost by 30 rather than win by 30. So all of that together adds a lot of angst <laughs> into this week for West Virginia fans, and the vibes are kind of turning again. And the conversation, again, is that you got to finish strong, and if you don't, what do you do? Although there are some fans who are already now out on Neil Brown, because unfortunately, Alex, you do have a situation this year – with a schedule that, wow, if you look at analytics and strength of schedule, it's actually still right up there. People don't understand why, because it's not just based off of opponents' records, because you can't do that. Like, if you played Liberty, that would be a team with a great record, but they play no Power 5, so 
what really is their record. It's it, it's very hard to understand, admittedly. But Western New Strength's schedule is still good. However, they have only beat BYU and then TCU had a win record at the time, but they've been exposed. Those are really the only big wins. So the fan base is now saying, after seeing them against Oklahoma, well, you're better than last year. You can beat up on the slop. Maybe you're average. If the team's good or certainly great and has tons of talent, they're way better than you, and they show it and not even competitive in the game. So if we go ahead and beat Cincinnati and Baylor for the West Virginia fan mindset, what does that mean? Those are two bad programs, too. One quick note on Jimbo Fisher. I just feel like I need to defend him a little bit. He has not lived up to the expectations at Texas A&M, but I always remind folks that, look, there's you know only one team can win it all and only four teams get into the postseason, and that's even relatively new. And uh, one note on Jimbo, you look at his team this year, uh, all of their losses, all four, I believe, are single possession no, I'm sorry. Three out of the four are single possession losses, including to some pretty good teams in uh, Alabama, kind of an up and down team in uh, Tennessee, and then uh, Ole Miss. All one possession losses, and and I uh, I saw on Twitter a couple of comments I mean, about life on the life in the SEC is hard. Life in the 80s, Absolutely, oh yeah, yeah. And, and I saw a couple of comments on Twitter where it was like, oh, this is this guy's just failing upwards, and I'm like, well, I mean, he like he did win a national championship and went I don't know 27 and one in two seasons with Florida yeah, yeah. State. I mean, Jimbo, number one, Jimbo would be a great hire if he wants to come home, and I do know what he said a year ago, actually on a Clarksburg TV station that we wrote about, that he would not in any way be against coming home, and he actually has you know, thought about what it would be like to come home and things like that. I don't take those comments like fans do that it means, oh, if they call, I'm coming. That could mean that I'm only 58 years old, by the way. He's younger than what people think. He maybe would want to come home, and Saban has alluded to this, you know, in their last year just to do it for for kicks. That doesn't mean he wants to put in a decade of work. So you don't know what he would do if he was offered the job and that was open. But Jimbo would be a great hire. The criticism is, though, and I think why fans have paused, when he won his natty, the national championship with Florida State in 2013, the ACC was very down. He had a Heisman winner that he didn't really recruit and expect to be there. He fell into him. He has been recruiting the last several years very high-ranked classes, even comparison to Bama and the SEC, and still not beating them. And while his record, I believe, is better than Kevin Sumlin, the expectations there are to be above that because they fired Kevin Sumlin despite the Manziel season. We could argue all day whether that's unreasonable, though, because they have won, they have less 10-win seasons in the last 20 years than West Virginia, and they're firing coaches that are well above 500. So that's part of it, too. But, but then Alex... You know, last thing on the Jimbo note, which is the topic this week, if West Virginia would fire Neil Brown at 8-4 and four, and then potentially 9-4 and four if they win a bowl game, that may send a message to coaches like Jimbo Fisher, wow, they basically want national contention or they're not happy. I don't want to touch that. I got $76 million in the bank. I already got a national championship. That's unreasonable expectations. If I come home and I win anything less than 10 a year, my home fans – hate me and I can't go to lunch in Clarksburg anymore. Why come? 
Well, That's got to so, be a thought. So one note. That's why you made me pause about firing somebody after an eight-win season. I, I, so I 100% agree with that. The one note I will make is that I think the only scenario where they would fire Neil Brown after an eight, possibly nine-win season, if you include the bowl game, is a scenario where only where they're hiring someone like Jimbo. Like there would have to be special extenuating circumstances in They'd which case. they have to know he wants to come. He'd right, to right. Him. I think Jimbo right. at that point, I think, I think there would be sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of understanding because I I don't think there's any justification if if this team wins eight games. I don't think there's any justification for fire, firing Neil Brown. But the one thing I did want to touch with you uh, on, because you were talking about the strength of schedule, and I, 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 I do understand that point. But the Big 12 is sort of a free-for-all this year. It's a little bit weaker. And and I am, I mean, like, good, good goodness, Oklahoma State just got rocked by UCF. Uh, over the weekend, right. you know what I mean? Like it just feels like like it, they're kind of just like throwing dice and uh, or flipping a coin <laughs> to see who wins these games. And I guess what I'm yeah. what I'm curious about is, do you feel like you know we talked about at the beginning of the season? We felt like in that six and six, seven and five range, we're reasonably happy. Think Neil Brown should come back. Is six and six in this Big Twelve this year specifically? unacceptable like do you if you look at the landscape and say okay we actually think West Virginia after this 10 game sample size is better than our initial projections do we have to adjust and say this team really does need to at least go seven and five like I I guess I am curious if if Neil Brown goes six and six and they lose out how much danger is he in when we probably would not have maybe been as uh, I, I don't think he would have been in as much danger if we just looked at it through the lens of what the preseason looked like. But now I'm not so sure. Well, and also you have to look at it through the lens. And college schedules obviously are put together you know, a decade in advance. Granted, we're talking about the conference schedule. But they did have an out-of-conference game against Penn State that was a very good one that most teams do not have because they play more power fives than, than others. And Ren Baker's had a whole rant on that. But entering the season... The reason why people thought West Virginia's schedule, I believe PFF had it as the third toughest schedule in the entire country, as insane as that sounds. The reason why, Alex, TCU just made the playoffs out of the Big 12 as a non-blue blood without winning a conference championship. Do you, do you hear that sentence? Play that back for the listeners when you're talking about the overall spectrum. That is the outlier season of history that makes people believe that West Virginia can do it because TCU did it as a, a lesser blue blood than West Virginia historically. They have less fans. They bring less money despite money in Dallas. All of that. They, why did that happen? One of the reasons? They had five ranked victories prior to losing to Kansas State. The committee could not ignore them. So people thought, oh, my God, if those same teams are going to play West Virginia this year when West Virginia is down, that's going to be a really tough schedule. Now, as you're saying, those same teams, either from losing players, graduation portal, whatever the case may be, it hasn't worked out. The schedule has been easier. Those teams that were ranked all last year haven't been good this year. It hasn't been the same. And Texas, who is one of them that's ranked, that could advance to the playoffs if they get lucky, they're still in the Big 12 right now. They're not on West Virginia's schedule. West Virginia did get a benefit of not playing them. Let's face it, that would be a loss. You get killed to Oklahoma, you're going to get killed to Texas. They'd have to play the Longhorns. So they got a break schedule-wise, but they also played Penn State out of conference. So if you lose Texas, you gain Penn State that nobody played. So I will say 6-6 six and six to me, especially after starting 4-1, and one, is not acceptable when you look at the schedule. No matter how you want to evaluate strength of schedule, 
four and one off an easier schedule than last year. No, six and six, losing out, losing to Cincinnati, who's not a bowl team, losing to Baylor, who's no better. That would be really, really bad, especially when one of those games is at home. I know you'll still go to a bowl and make some money, and Brown, I'm sure, will still go there and wear the gear. But no, that would be below expectations after the four and one start, hundred percent. And then I think he actually Rendaker would fire him. However. Even though people don't want to hear this because Baylor and Cincy are both bad, I do think seven and seven wins and more, even though it would include an upset loss, and you don't want it to be the home game, would probably bring him back. And I think there might be a heart-to-heart that Ren would say, we're not giving you any more money, we have one more year. If it's not eight-plus wins, then you're gone. I think eight-plus wins, though, and I've talked to donors, as you know I know them and talked to them. Eight-plus wins is going to satisfy most of the reasonable people, and I then think he would come back with pretty much assurance that unless next year falls off the rails, they are going to power this on to a Brown era. So I do think these last two games are his legacy, are the future, and there is a lot of reason to believe, even though it's hard to believe now, that they could turn around and play very well against Cincy, very well against Baylor, and who knows about the bowl game, because Oklahoma's way better than those teams. They've done this before in the roller coaster. And just because you get killed by Oklahoma does not mean you're going to lose to Cincinnati. So six and six, I do not think would be good enough, even though that's a bowl season, for myriad of reasons that I just named. But I think anything above that, he would come back. And I think eight wins, it's hard for the fan base to be too mad. Because, again, yeah, you didn't get Texas on the schedule or Kansas, but you played Penn State when a lot of players and teams and coaches haven't had to deal with that. So... It makes up for it a little bit. Does does Neil but Brown six get? Six, I do not think would be good enough. I think six and six, you then have to pull the plug. Yeah. Does Does Neil Brown get an extension if they win out, including a bowl game? That's really hard to say. And obviously, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens, but I would lean towards no. And I do think Ren Baker's a little smarter financially than what occurred years ago. After West Virginia won the bowl game against Liberty. The program did give Brown an extension. That was only after two years, one being COVID and the other year being so bad. Many have criticized that, even nationally, as why do it. They did it because they were scared that a very young coach who's winning and they thought climbing was going to be hired by another program. South Carolina, I believe, was that program that was in the rumors. It was knee-jerk, though, and I think that unlike some predecessors, I think Ren Baker, this is why he's not going to fire a guy that wins eight games, maybe not seven. Ren Baker is the most calm, cool, and collected guy you can find, which is what you need in the athletic director position at West Virginia, especially this past year in what's gone on. So I don't think you're going to see any knee-jerk decisions of, oh, my God, we beat up some bad teams, we won eight games, here's another, you know, here's a Jimbo Fisher deal. I don't think that's going to happen. It might be an extension that's more reasonable. Maybe he'll even rework it so the buyout gets a little calmer because it's still wild, even though it was worse last year. But I definitely think he's coming back. The extension is probably a different conversation because Ren may he does get analytic and look at the schedule. Like he, he has, like, I've seen he has a whole spreadsheet on strength of schedule. That's why he doesn't want to play eleven power fives. Ren Baker is thinking about this more than people think he's thinking about this. So anyone who thinks it's a knee jerk decision. That is not how Rainmaker rolls. Yeah. Hey, Mike, uh, we're running low on time. There are two more topics I wanted to hit with you before I let you go. The first is Garrett Green. 
I, uh, I didn't think he was particularly good against Oklahoma. I don't think most did. He wasn't really playing uh, within himself or within the offense. Like right from the, the, the jump outside of that first drive, he looked like a guy who felt like he was going to win the game with every single throw. Uh, he was attacking right. downfield, and you'll love to see a quarterback push the football downfield. But at a certain point, you've got you've, you've to adjust and kind of pick your targets and that didn't seem like something that was really working. I, I don't know if that was a green thing in terms of how he was reading the field or if that was the designed plays after, uh, you know, the design of the play call, I should say, after the first drive. Was that touched on at all during uh, press availability about, about Garrett's play, especially in the first half? So it was not only touched on Monday, it was touched on immediately after the game. And I wasn't at Norman, but I was a part of that press conference uh, via, via Zoom. And yes, Neil Brown said it. And this is the same Neil Brown that, as you know, weeks before he continuously made comments even after he took the helmet off and that kind of helped lose the game to, to Houston that without Garrett Green we wouldn't be in these games Garrett Green's been great some have even argued that Neil Brown has done a whole 180 on the on the past and has almost excused some of Garrett Green's mistakes and while still saying he has to be smarter and better has just been praising him the last several weeks and he's played really really well but it's not been perfect football you go to this week, yeah, Garrett Green was not good. He was not nearly good enough. It didn't look like it all day long. He was misfiring receivers. They were dropping balls. That was brought up. I think the receivers also had a really bad day. But Neil Brown said, yeah, not good enough, needs to be better, things like that. He even said they had a heart-to-heart after the game, and he, he's very honest with him. And the same conversation he had with him a couple years ago when he said, you're not good enough right now, I don't care what the fans are saying, he had a similar one, like, you can't do that again or you're not good enough. And it almost made me think that if he does that again, that they might go to the portal for a quarterback next year. So mm, that's wow. how much one game can change your life in sports, certainly college sports right now, and he was not good enough. But, again, he could turn around and be way better. He has been very, very good the last month. But the issue, Alex, Oklahoma was going to force Garrett Green, and they did, to pass the football. They were not going to let him do it with his legs like he did against BYU, which wasn't a great passing day. And he has not really shown yet that he can throw the ball as an elite quarterback, even if he can run as an elite quarterback. So that is still a question mark he needs to improve. But while the receivers were bad, he was overthrowing them, misfiring them. He looked like he was mentally out of it, and maybe the big atmosphere of the last stand in Norman got to him. I mean, I didn't talk to him directly. He was not offered outside of after the game. But that's what it looked like, that, it, that, that, was, a, that was a really, really big game that got to him and made him play different and kind of off his game. Yeah. Uh, no, no question about it. And uh, we'll be curious to see how these next couple of games go for him. These are these are big ones for him that I think he can really do some damage in. It's the consistency through the air that we haven't seen. It's the flashes have been there, but the, the consistency most certainly uh, has not. Let's uh, finish up on the injury front. Uh, C.J. Donaldson uh, notably went down in the second half of that game. Uh, Mountaineers yeah. continue to have injury issues uh, along the offensive line. I think Doug Nestor, uh, it was this week his turn I mean seriously it's like spin the roulette board and which Mountaineer offensive lineman is going to get hurt in any given game it has been brutal for West Virginia you know uh, football folks know that the the most important thing is is O-line continuity uh, from year to year game to game and it's really really hard when guys keep getting hurt West Virginia is kind of powered through it uh, what's the injury situation before I let you go yeah and fortunately we're doing we're doing the show early in the week this week and not at the end because Neil Brown literally said that he has no real update 
They didn't practice on Sunday. The team did practice, obviously didn't get off after that result. And he needs to see more from them. So he said he said that on his radio show on Thursday, he will actually have an update on C.J. Donaldson and Doug Nestor in particular. But Nestor missed the BYU game. Him coming back against Oklahoma was having the offensive line at full strength for the first time in weeks. And then he goes down again. C.J., who ran for almost 80 yards despite only 14 carries, didn't play much of the second half after leaving. It doesn't seem like it's a major deal, but we don't have a real update right now. So I would guess they're both going to play, but we'll see on Thursday. And you mentioned about the O-line. I'll leave you with this. We can talk about the offense being bad, the defense being bad, Garrett Green being bad, Neil Brown maybe making some mistakes in that game. All of those things together, it was a perfect storm for West Virginia to get destroyed against Oklahoma, a talented team. The offensive line had their worst day in years. The offensive line, Zach Frazier on down, NFL pick on down, did not have a good day. And I understand anyone who didn't watch the game will say they didn't give up a sack. They still had rushing yards. How can you say that, Mike? Alex, turn the tape on. You watched it, too. My eyes, I'm an analytic guy, but my eyes could tell you the story there. They lost the battle of the trenches, and Oklahoma's defensive line could do whatever they wanted. And that, I think, is why West Virginia never had a chance in that game. If you got a better O-line, it might have allowed everyone else to recuperate and even get lucky at times. Didn't happen. That offensive line result cannot happen again. And if they lose to Cincinnati, it's because of the trenches, because the Bearcats, despite being a bad team, have a really good defensive line. So that's a tease for that game. you got to watch the West Virginia O-line. If they have another result like Oklahoma, it could be a tough day, and that, that could end the Neil Brown era. That cannot happen again. Yeah. Hey, what are you working on uh, real quick? Uh, what's coming up down the pike uh, that you want to tell folks about? Sure. So, again, WV Sports Now, that is where the coverage is, not only football but also basketball and beyond. And we have another basketball game this evening that Ethan Block will be attending. So the coverage is over there. We'll probably do a post-game show after it. And then, of course, my podcast, which just recently included a lot of Steelers talk, but we'll get back to some college, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. And actually, I do have a show that's already on the schedule that's not out yet that we will dive fully into the Michigan scandal. So that might be interesting for listeners as well. But you can find Mike Drop everywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, etc. Just search Mike Drop or Mike Osti in any of those directories. And as you know, the uh, sports calendar just keeps on churning because it's just amazing how everything changes in a seven-day period. And in one seven-day period, I'm saying the legacy is on one game. Mm-hmm. It's wild because last week it was the opposite situation. Uh, yeah, it is It is pretty wild week to week. All right, Mike, appreciate it, man. We'll be talking with you next week. Where who knows, who knows what we could be talking about a week from now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See you, Mike. All right, that is Mike Osti of West Virginia Sports Now. And uh, we'll take a break. Adam Zundel coming up next. We'll wrap up with Mountaineer men's soccer. They are the number five overall seed in the NCAA tournament, the equivalent of the top two seed uh, in the tournament. Again, they, the way they break it down is they go, uh, uh, they do overall seeding rather than ones and twos. But Marshall won, West Virginia five. And we'll uh, talk more about that with Adam coming up on the other side of this break. The morning spiel presented by Royal Water Treatment on 103.3 WKMZ. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E 
AV on YouTube.